Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Not being in the same room has uh, taken its toll, eh? Like, uh, I was... Whenever I have any moment where I think, oh, it's really cool that we've been able to do this remotely and, you know, we've done well to transition, I also realized that I went from, like, being dressed like a normal human being to before even hitting record on my second beer. And I am going to be honest with you guys, I'm in my silk Christmas reindeer boxers right now. I don't have pants on. Oh, those aren't reindeer. Oh, shit. Those are St. Bernard's with antlers. Same thing. you know. Yeah, just about. So, uh, a steep decline. And you can tell it's taken a toll on us because us three who don't even like each other at all um, just spent 45 minutes talking pre-show and not even a second of planning about what we're going to talk about. No, I don't even think we mentioned the word episode or podcast in that conversation. No. Evan showed us, he uh, learned how to belly dance. He showed us that pre-show actually. Yeah, COVID-19 pounds. (laughs) Has its benefits. Like, honestly, it would have been a good show had he shaved ahead of time. Was, yeah, that was a little much. It was, Although it was shaving a, our names into his chest hair was a nice touch. Hey, I, you got to appreciate the dedication. Um, Evan is continues to win over hearts and minds with the fewest words per minute of anyone ever on a podcast. A comment that we got on YouTube was... The best part about uh, you guys going remote because of the quarantine has been Evan showing up consistently to episodes. No, I'm not even kidding. And I, I do like, what I, I can. For this the guy people. barely talked. He was barely there last episode. I do what I can for the people. The people and because of how we have I to deliver. record. Yeah, because of how we have to record, it's on your computer. So your face is the biggest. You just sit there like a muck looking at the other screen. You don't even have the presence of mind to put the ca- the webcam on the screen that you spend the most time on. Yeah, I could do that, but yeah, it'd be uh, smarter. <laughs> it actually might look better too because I've got all those news articles finally on the wall. Look, look at that, Evan's figuring it out. I'm not going to do that though. No, of course not. <laughs> well, uh, hockey stuff's happening. Hey, what's happened with that? The last I checked, that Dallas Colorado game, um, Kale McCarr pretty much scored on himself. Kind of. Um, he gave Dennis Gurion of a gift, and and obviously people are gonna rip McCarr for it because it, it looks really bad. But it was just one of those ones. He just went to pick up the puck behind the net and caught the puck right as it skipped. So instead of stick handling to his forehand, it went over his forehand through the crease to the top. And which case Gurionov was cruising through, and Francis had to make the stop. Try to make the stop standing backwards. It gets worse. Colorado popped a couple late ones. That was the winning goal. Oh, that hurts. Bizarre series, that one. I don't, I really don't get that. Well, it looks like people are finally starting to respect Dallas a little bit. Yeah, which, like, you never take an opponent lightly, and you don't take Dallas lightly. Like, Dallas is has a lot of comparables to Washington in my mind, where it's like they, they loaded up what, four years ago when everyone was like, oh, Dallas will score 12 goals a game and that didn't really work. And then they made a couple of other moves like, you know, Perry and Pavelski and and what have you, but nobody was really expecting them to do this. And 
here they are up 3-1 against the Western Conference favorites or at least one of them. Anyhow, want to want to hear another another fun little stat with uh, mm-hmm. well at least this one in regards to the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. So try and figure out the um theme here. The Detroit Red Wings and the Los Angeles Kings. How do they relate to the Dallas Stars this season? The only two teams to win their season series, sweep their season series. The only two teams to have scored fewer goals than the Dallas Stars. No shit. They scored that few goals? Yep. They they got where they were entirely on their elite defense and goaltending. Oh now, next question. Which team has the most goals currently in the playoffs? Colorado. The Dallas Stars. <laughs> what a strange, strange world. For anybody who is who is like worried that the COVID COVID playoffs or quarantine playoffs or bubble playoffs or whatever you want to call them wouldn't seem legitimate, I don't have that feeling at all. Like I don't get the sense at all that this all has a big asterisk. Like that doesn't really that that's not the vibe I get. But it has produced a lot of weird results. I felt I feel like it's made teams way more vulnerable. Yes, a hundred percent. Also, I was looking at the bracket today. It's weird to think, but I think no matter how either side of the bracket plays out, I'm going to be cheering for whoever comes out of the West. It is just a lot of not good on the Eastern side still. Well, yeah, because the East is going to be between either like Tampa or Boston have a 50% chance of making the cup finals out of the East. Yeah. And then the other two are Philly and the Islanders. You've got Philly, who nobody likes Philly for anything other than gritty, and the most boring hockey team to exist this year. And then you look at all the fun, skilled, good teams in the West, and you're like, yeah, yeah, let's hope they win. Yeah. Anyhow, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. We just caught him at the end of a yawn. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we'll, we will be talking about the playoffs overall. We'll continue that discussion. Uh, some goings on in the playoffs and then around the league. Um, some more news regarding um, potential hires, movement around the league, trades maybe. Who knows? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Red Wings and then get into our double prospect profile this week. We have um, Helga Granz and Jan Misak. Misak? Misak? It it's Czech, so I would assume Meshach, but I don't know anything. At least it's not his brother Lick. Yeah, it's no relation to Lick Meshach. Uh, before getting into overtime, um, okay. So the playoffs. It is a little bit of a funny time. Like I mentioned, the Islanders are currently up over first seed um, Philly, who was looking like a favorite to go to the cup finals and not that they're out it's just a 2-1 lead but still you're just saying that because you picked them to go to the cup finals yeah and the other team that's unexpectedly down so of course i'm going to be biased so uh tampa is up 3-1 on boston vegas is up 2-1 on vancouver and then as of uh not too long ago dallas has a 3-1 series lead over colorado wait tampa's up 3-1 on boston i thought it was 2-1 did i miss a game you must have yeah oh they had that they had like a blowout the other day Great news. (laughs) There you go, Brad. Um, What was it? Yeah, it was yesterday. It was a 3-1 game. And then on Wednesday was the 7-1 game. Good. Suck it, Boston. I'm I'm very not pro-Tampa, but I'm very pro-no-Boston. 
and uh, you're you're a game away. I'm actually kind of surprised to see it be so decisive, but Boston has had its falters since hockey's return, so that's why I picked Tampa so confidently over them. Um, okay, let's talk about more about Colorado Dallas. If Dallas comes out of this, do they have a chance? I mean, obviously they have a chance, but is this more Colorado having a lot of missteps or is Dallas the real deal and they can contend to come out of the West to play in the Stanley Cup Finals? I mean, Dallas has been a near top team in the league for a few years now. I don't know how anybody could not consider them the real deal. And they're doing this with their backup goalie right now. I mean, their defense is ridiculous. Um, They have the offensive tools to be a great offense. They just didn't show it all regular season, and apparently they woke up in the playoffs. So, hey, great timing. There's there's nothing about Dallas's roster that you could hate. Um, you could go, I don't love Kudobin in that, and it's fair. He's the backup goal, and he's had a couple shaky ones go in. Um, their defense is fantastic. I don't see how you could hate it. And you could look at their offense and go, yeah, but no depth. All right, fair. But Tyler Sagan has, what, one goal this playoffs, and they're still the highest scoring team. So there's enough there. I mean, Dallas is legit. I think you, a lot of people, myself included, might have been a little guilty about getting a little overconfident on Colorado because all the perceived depth issues that we think Dallas has, Colorado does for sure. And I mean, even you look at this series, it's the same core of players on the Avs, McKinnon, Landeskog, McCarr that are doing all their damage. Kadri has been a nice little surprise for them, but they're just, their bottom six is getting caved. They don't have the depth on defense and Grubauer getting hurt doesn't help because their backup is essentially a rookie Francis, even though I know he's older. Yeah, it's man. McKinnon's going to have to pull a real rabbit out of his hat for this one. But I, I think it's Dallas is legit and Colorado's flaws are being exposed. Well, if there's anyone who can pull a rabbit out of their hat, that's left in the playoffs. Nathan McKinnon is there. Evan gun to your head. Let's say Vancouver makes it out of that series. They, they upset Vegas. They play Dallas. Who comes through? I honestly really like Dallas. And I don't think I gave them really any chance when I first looked at mm-hmm. the brackets. But Kadobin's been super good. And if he falters, they got Ben Bishop in the uh, on the bench. Is and he back yet? I don't know uh, if he's if he's even back yet. I could be dead wrong. But. I thought he was in the bubble. He's in the bubble, but I don't know if he's been cleared to play yet. What a funny world where, like, if someone's in the building, it means they could still technically play. Right? Well, what, 30-man rosters? <laughs> yeah, Whenever someone... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to continue reading to see if my statement's true. Whenever somebody gets hurt, it's always like, all right, is the injury so bad or they have to go to the hospital? Can we bring the doctors here? Is that a procedure that we can do here? Do we have a dialysis machine in the hosp- in the hotel? Do we have a... <laughs> can we do CAT scans in there? <laughs> Um, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but it's, I mean, Hey, if they're able to stay in, then that's good. Yeah. I can't find anything. We'll just say I'm right. <laughs> um, Evan's like our version of, uh, I, I don't listen to, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, but I, he has that guy like Jamie who pulls up like info or clips. Yeah. Evan's our person, but he never pulls, he never tells us the info or the clips. He just looks it up for himself. Yeah. I can't, um, they said Ben Bishop's been on the ice, but I can't see, Oh, well, I guess I could, you know, pull up the game minutes from the game that uh, just happened. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I'm, um, I'm trying to look up right now to see if yeah, they list the backup goalie on the roster on the website. Of course they don't. I just looked it up. I can't, oh. They didn't have it. Anyway, but um, Heiskanen's, I think, set, today set a franchise record for points as a defenseman in the playoffs. I think Pavelski's, like, second in playoff scoring oh. out of everybody. Heiskanen, 16 points, is it, so far? Yeah. Like, legit cons my favorite if Dallas wins. Like, actually, if Dallas wins the cup, I don't see how, at this point, Heiskanen isn't the Smythe winner. All right, because recency bias is strong, even though McCarr would have been given the edge over Heiskanen 90% of the time before this conversation. Redraft, obviously, it's not going to be Heischer or Nolan. Who goes first, Heiskanen or uh, McCarr? <sighs> how do you even pick? Yes, the answer is just yes. Yeah. Try to take both if you can. Uh, I'm still going to go McCarr because I think he's still got more room to grow. I think I think at younger. this What am I saying? Stupid. No, he's not younger, but he's he's in his first year, right? High skin and this is his third season. Um second or third season. Either way, I just I think McCarr is still as scary as it is, got another step to his game. Not necessarily offensively, but I think he's got room to grow. Heiskanen, for the most part, I think at this point is what he is. There'll be a little bit of growth, but I th- I don't think it'll be as much. So I- I'd still go McCarr because he's got that dynamic element that you just can't teach and so few players have. So if you can get his defensive game anywhere near Heiskanen's, I, I take him. But man, that's a that's hard. <laughs> what a... F- like what a fantastic third and fourth overall pick set oh yeah it's it's frustrating because you're almost not going to be able to replicate that at all like anytime a gm says well look kale mccarr went fourth overall you're like okay yeah and even i say that sometimes when i need to make myself feel better inside but my god what are the chances that those two guys go it really gives a lot of ammo to the draft the best defenseman available crowd two things uh Evan, uh, while I was going through the page, I looked at the scratches. Ben Bishop was scratched today. Oh, weird. And two, if you redraft that draft, I'm not positive McCarr or Heiskanen go first. Yeah, I forgot about Pedersen. <laughs> I, I mean, you could make the case for any of them, but <laughs> that it's draft Pedersen was so first. bad at the time. And now looking back at it, the top three is just ridiculous. I would go Pedersen, McCarr, Heiskanen, sure Nolan. Oh, I don't know if Nolan Patrick cracks the top 10 right now. I'm not even thinking about anyone else who's in there. Yeah, Nolan Patrick's probably not there. Um, Suzuki's got to be close to there. Not that we're dwelling on it. Man, and Heischer's not a slouch. Like, I like Heischer a lot. Heischer's a great player. He's a 50-60 point player. It's probably what Atu Ratu is going to be next year, which is when we'll find That's how you pronounce it. He says Ratu? Yeah, well, according to Yoki, yeah, it's... Ratu. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't keep having this conversation every no, week no, about names. We, we can't. We can't. He's gonna be ratty till the end of time. I know it, but it just atu ratu is fun. And I know all the Finnish listeners are like, oh, you're not saying it exactly bite me. I know. <laughs> I can't make those noises with my mouth that you guys do. I can't. No matter how many times you tell me how to say rupe hints or rupe hints, I'm not gonna be able to do it properly. It's better than just I a- could do. Just accept it. Uh, 
All right, over to the Vegas um, Vancouver series. My one comment is Mark Stone continues to be underappreciated. He is one of the best players on this planet. That's my whole point. Yes. The guy's a freak. Like the guy, Ottawa, obviously, in retrospect, has gotten some pretty good pieces from their stupid dealings of of Carlson and um, Stone. Losing Stone is worse in my mind than losing Carlson. In terms of you know how that player is playing now, he is just so phenomenal. Oh my god, he pick, he pickpockets guys the way you would see Datsuk do it. Mm-hmm. He's not the only person in the world with takeaways right now, but still, like the fact that that guy, that guy can drive offense so well offensively, and then still be such a force on in his own zone. That's the that's a coach's dream. Just the fact that he plays on the wing turns people off, but he is such a complete player if i were to buy the jersey of any player not on the red wings right now it'd be a mark stone vegas jersey Um, i'm angry that it's not a las vegas flamingos jersey but that's a story Uh, you got to take what you can get i think for me coming looking at the las vegas team the the real coming out party is for actually for alex tuck is it alex tuck alex tuck god there's probably some other way to pronounce his name um, I don't know. I think he's got goals like in the past four games, and it, he might lead the team in scoring. Nope, neither him nor Mark Stone lead the team in scoring. Someone has more than seven goals. Uh, are we talking goals or points? Uh, I was just th- I was just looking at goals. Okay, then yeah, I think it's Tuck. But uh, if it's overall points, and you want to talk about a coming out party, Vegas is led in scoring by a defenseman, Alec Mark Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we go Anaheim. Yep, and silly season 2.0 is coming very soon. Could you imagine? Remember when Florida, just to get on it off, and we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to this. Remember when Florida gave up Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith to Vegas for basically nothing? Could and I now you're telling that? me for the next expansion draft, Peter Shirelli might be making that decision for Florida. Could you imagine they're going to give up Huberto and Barkov somehow? With any luck. It is Tuck, by the way, Evan perfect i was right oh you guys were actually looking i've met the dude i know it's tuck it's a thousand percent tuck so say something you dweeb i didn't know you guys i wasn't really listening if i'm being honest <laughs> <laughs> i was reading stats <laughs> i met the guy uh i was scrolling through tiktok and i saw alex tuck like a video of him at the minnesota wild like all like team all-star game scoring some goal and he did like the yeah the dance and like i was like oh man as if like the one hockey player to be have like a viral TikTok is Alex Tuck, and that's what all like the <laughs> the non hockey watching TikTok teen crowd knows is Alex Tuck. I'm like Gary Bettman seeing his jersey sales go through the roof. Like oh oh okay, <laughs> it's weird why that they find Minnesota, Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Jer- yeah. What um, and why do we keep getting requests for Pavel Barber jerseys? Who does he play for? Yeah, for real. Flyers and Islanders. Barry Trotz. I don't mean no. Stop. I don't mean to to harp on the Islanders roster because they obviously have talent. But Barry Trotz, holy hell, what a great job he's doing! Oh, he's the best coach in the world, and at this point, it's not particularly close. Like the Islanders don't have a single player over a point per game in these playoffs, or even at a point per game. Not one. What are, Josh Josh Bailey's got eleven and twelve. That's his close as anybody is and they are just walking through everybody 
Oh, I forgot Cap Friendly has uh, coaching contracts. He Oh, he did sign a five-year contract with them for $4 million a year. Look at that. They paid the guy. They're getting the results. It's not even that much money. <laughs> it was the term that turned uh, Washington off. They didn't want to do the term. How dare he get them that cup? How yeah. dare he? I mean, they got the cup. What do they care at that point? Ah, whatever. Get out of here, you bum, and take your ring with you. Man, we've talked about it before. If you believe that it was your roster who did it and Reardon would be like a reasonable sub, then you make that move because you can say that Trotz likely wouldn't last another five years in in Washington and then you'd be on the hook for $4 million a year for every year he wasn't there unless he got hired again elsewhere. But That's nuance. But still, looks dumb now. Um, Okay, the the playoffs will continue. It's still, because of the two-day delay, it's still a little bit behind where we expected it to be at this point. Uh, But a couple potential upsets in the work, and uh, the favorites in Vegas and Tampa Bay still do have their their leads. Any other notes you guys have on the playoffs? Any notable stories? Oh, you guys want to talk about the... um, the hit on Yanni Gord that went unsuspended, un, un, undisciplined? Please. Go for it. This is the dumbest thing the NHL has done in a dumb year that is involving the actual game of hockey and not the draft lottery. Still rattled, but anyways. The first thing, and I mean the first thing you are taught in hockey growing up is do not hit players from behind, especially two feet away from the boards. I still remember vividly in the 90s, this video they showed us that went right down to the literal anatomy of the player who gets hit from behind and showing how your spine will compress and break if you are hit that way and don't properly brace yourself. thing when you're getting hit from behind at that speed is you almost don't have time to brace. So guess what? Crack crunch. Ignoring the concussion, ignoring all the possible shoulder injuries, the facial injuries. You could kill someone with that type of hit. Literally, it it sounds like hyperbolic bullshit, and I'm just trying to over-exaggerate to make a point, and I kind of am, but it's still true. You could kill somebody with that type of hit from that distance when they're not looking. I understand that hits like that typically have not been given long suspensions in the past. So I'm obviously upset that there was no suspension on this, but I I understand that it wasn't going to be severe based on the precedence that has been set on the past. So my gripe is the fact that these type of hits haven't been more severely punished. The most mundane of these types of hits should start at five games. Start. Anything that is even more predatory Anything that's more flagrant, extreme has to be in the double digits. Like I I seen a lot of Boston fans joking around that Nick Ritchie having to go in the lineups, actually a worse punishment for them. So I guess we'll take some solace in that, but it's the NHL, the current iteration of the NHL department of player safety is by far the worst crew they've ever had in a series of truly awful crews. Like this is staggering a hit. Uh, just one more time for emphasis. A hit that could have killed Yanni Gord is met with no suspension. I I can't even process that properly. 
The justification that was used was time from release of the puck to being hit was, they said 0.6 seconds. I actually think that was a little light. I looked at it a lot. I don't know how they got 0.6, but whatever they use. But I'm like, why does that matter? Like that matters for a charging call maybe, but like we're talking about the vulnerability of the player and the danger of the hit. It doesn't matter how long ago he released the puck. Like you're, it's such a weird straw man thing to do, like to boil it down to one parameter that fits their decision. And I'm like, oh, okay, 0.6 seconds. He still hit him practically from behind his neck. Like they're lucky his neck and head didn't hit the board even worse than it did. Because like you said, that could end someone's career or worse. The fact it was delayed made it less worse than it would have been because the follow through on his shot turned him towards the puck which means where Gord got lucky obviously it probably hurt like hell and but his sh- head and shoulder took the brunt of the impact had that been a half second sooner right as he's releasing the puck he's facing the boards he's going he's going crown of the head into the boards which is when that hit is the most dangerous so i to me the the lateness of it wasn't the issue at all sure it was late but i mean yeah when you're under a second reaction time fine i'll i'm willing to give players at least some benefit of the doubt there not much but some it's the hit itself that is the problem and the fact that like ryan said they came out and said well it was 0.6 so we're not going to suspend him is stupid this is dumber than when duncan keith only got one game for slashing a guy in the face like, this yeah. is dumber than that. Because, yeah, Duncan Keith could really, really hurt a guy doing that. He's not going to kill him doing that. This is worse. It's amazing that any group can manage to be the worst Department of Player Safety in history when there has been virtually no good Department of Player Safety since its inception. It's comical. Uh, yeah, like, kind of silly. Again, we have to reiterate because it's asinine that it's the case. But the head of the Department of Player Safety is a former goon who has a clothing line titled Violent Gentleman. Like, Jesus Christ, guys, at least try to hide the fact that you don't care. Yeah. Well, I'll never have uh, any hope for this group. And as long as the um, playoffs continue to be called unexplainably lighter then i'll continue to just not expect anything rational or reasonable but it'll give us fun stuff to yell at i'm going to move us along to some red wing stuff there hasn't been a ton of news but i do want to have kind of a discussion i don't want to talk about these players themselves we have their pro like their prospect profiles mapped out as to when we're going to do it do them but i do want to talk about the philosophy of drafting the best possible player at that spot or being satisfied with just having at least not a bust someone reasonable so i ran two polls over the past couple days just because i was you know bored and i wanted to see what the fan base thought i said um question for wings fans which of the following two draft prospects do you believe has the higher overall ceiling so not talking about like, you know, completeness of game or likelihood to pan out or anything like that. Who just has the higher absolute ceiling in your mind? How about both of you guys answer? Between who, sorry? Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you the players. Uh, Cole Perfetti and Marco Rossi. Who has the higher overall ceiling if everything goes exactly right for them? 100% this player pans out perfectly, hits their absolute ceiling. They're the best player they could ever be. I'll say Perfetti. 
That's who I was going to say. I think Perfetti, too. 1,578 votes. Okay. It was 50-50 until the last hour, and it ended up being 51-49. Cole Perfetti over Marco Rossi. Wow. This fan base is either going to be pissed the hell off come October or happy no matter what. No, we know what's going to happen. We are going to spend the next, what is it, two, not even two, wow, month and a half to the draft. And we're going to argue about Rossi and Drysdale and Raymond and Perfetti. And we're taking Sanderson. It's Mo Sider. It's it's absolutely going to happen. So it doesn't even matter. I know. I know it's going to happen. Or we trade the pick, which is even less likely. But I ran a second poll. And this one had about a thousand votes. Same question: Which of these two has a higher overall ceiling? Cole Perfetti, the winner of the previous poll, or Lucas Raymond? Who do you guys think? I'll go with Raymond on this one. It was the high. It, was it the same question? Same question. Yeah. And who are the two? Perfetti and Raymond. I don't really. Hmm. I don't know Raymond's game as intimately as Perfetti's, so I feel like my answer is skewed. Yeah. I'll just say Perfetti, I guess. Here's the thing. And we're again, we're we're gonna save this discussion for another time, but very high level here. I think the world of Lucas Raymond, and I think he's my preferred pick at this point. At this point, it is subject to change, and I guarantee you it will change. It's just the way this goes. But with Perfetti, in my mind, my drawbacks on him are things that could, in some world, ostensibly be fixed or worked on. And if, like I said, if this guy, if you add great skating to Perfetti's profile, he's a top three pick, undoubtedly challenging for top two. So in my mind, Perfetti does have the higher absolute ceiling. But when you talk about absolute ceiling, like almost no player ever pans out that way. So it's, it's anyhow. So uh, I, I would go more than just skating with Perfetti. His pace still concerns me a, a, a little bit. But the, here, here's the catch-22 of the draft and why no two boards will ever look the same. If you gave me the same um, questions with the same comparisons, Perfetti and Rossi and Perfetti and Raymond, but you asked me who do I think is more likely to reach their ceiling, Perfetti loses both for me. I think so. Well. Yeah, I, I think I, he carries more risk. Yeah, I think, I think Rossi's. Both. I think Rossi's the most likely of all of them to reach their ceiling, but I think he has the lowest ceiling of the three. Okay, so this poll after a thousand votes went fifty nine forty one in favor of Lucas Raymond. Ah, they've been listening. Yeah. So, what does that mean, though? Does that mean if Lucas Raymond drops to nine, this fan base like what's going to happen here? It's well, we how many times have we went over this? So we have like a pretty clear cut top eight for this draft ish. And that doesn't include Jake Sanderson. So if he jumps into the top eight, someone is going to fall to nine and we're all going to be like, what in the actual hell is going on? And people are really like really, really, really discounting the idea of Drysdale or Holtz. Not that those are the same tier of player in my mind, but like Drysdale will likely go higher just by virtue of being a defenseman. And Holtz is like, has that attractive skill set of scoring goals. People, a team might love that. Although I thought the same thing last year at Caulfield and he dropped to Montreal in the mid teens. So that was kind of, well, if out. all, 
if all the rumors that have been floating around thus far are to be believed, Perfetti and Raymond aren't getting out of the top five because they've both been linked to teams in the top five. So, so here's my thing. Let's say the Red Wings pick, like let's name six realistic Red Wings picks: Raymond, Rossi, Perfetti, Drysdale. Um, we have to assume there's a possibility Byfield or Stutzla fall. Byfield or Stutzla, let's call Byfield or Stutzla one player. Okay. And then Askarov. Askarov for Sanderson is another player. There's didn't six. Didn't even mention Holtz. Yeah, I didn't even mention Holtz. There's six options there. Let's say three of them pan out and it's Detroit picks one of them, but it's the worst of the three. Let's say they pick Rossi and Rossi ends up being like a 70 point player, 75 point player, but Perfetti and Raymond end up being 100 point players or Perfetti ends up as a number one center and Raymond is like the star winger of the future. Are you still mad? Yes. Especially considering – well, are you mad considering the other three players outside of the Red Wings pick and the two that they didn't choose, like whatever, those guys end up being total busts? Are you still angry or are you, you, do you say, I feel fortunate that the Red Wings didn't take these players that were ranked as highly or even higher and they ended up being busts? So here, here's the thing. If we were talking about pick 14 and we're talking about players in the 10 to 18 range, I yeah, you get a bit more of a pass here. This is the area of the draft you cannot screw up if you want to turn your franchise around. Is a 75-point player a screw-up, though? If you left two huge players on the board that are way better and they were ranked right around there, because this isn't like David Posternock where he blew up and he was a late 20s pick, where everybody goes, or Nikita Kucherov, where it's like, okay, well... 90% of the league passed on them. It happens. That's fine. I never hold those. But if you pick like Nolan Patrick and then the next three picks are Heiskanen, Makar, Pedersen, you effed up. There's no way around it. Even if you But pick- everyone had Nolan Patrick there though. Doesn't everyone matter. had Nolan Patrick. Second. It doesn't matter. We as talking heads don't matter. Rumor was Detroit was uh, one of two teams in the NHL who had Elias Pettersson number one on their list that year. Good. I am glad to hear that because you put your own list together. And when you are this high in the draft and your team is this bad, you do not have the room to be wrong right now. If you get in the top five enough, well, okay, great. Then you're just going to get quality out of sheer quantity but i really hope that we're not t- having this conversation every year for the next five years you want to get out of this funk you have to get it right and talking heads be damned our opinions our rankings don't matter we do not matter they don't have to go by the consensus if they're sitting on their chair right now in their offices and going jesus christ yaroslav Askarov is going to be the best goalie in the league and that's not a debate in our minds they have to take him and if they take, if they pass on him and he turns out to be Carey Price 2.0, they screwed up. Like you, there's levels of anger. Like if there's three out of the top 10 that hit and we got the worst of the three, I'm not going to be like flipping tables, setting fire to our scouting department. But at the same time, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, well, you made the, you made a good pick, but you didn't make the best pick. And when you're this bad, you need to make the best pick when you're in the top five. So you wouldn't even be satisfied with the second best pick. Oh, satisfied, yeah. But I, I'll never be ha- like fully happy with it. I'll love the player, and again, I I try to detach contracts and picks and all this stuff from the player because it's never the player's fault. So you always have to remember that. So it's not like 
every time Michael Rasmussen scores a goal, I'm going to be like, ah, but he could have been Nick Suzuki. No, I we have him now. He's our player. It doesn't matter if we drafted him ninth overall or in the seventh round. He's our player. Great. But the pick of Michael Rasmussen sucked. And there's no way around it. It sucked. Unless he comes, he comes out of nowhere and completely torches it this year and proves all of us wrong. Amazing. But it was a bad pick. I can like Mac Michael Rasmussen as a player, and I do. But that but, pick sucked. Yeah, but I'm not like we knew the Rasmussen pick wasn't great from the moment it was picked. Pretty much, I'm saying like, what if the Red Wings are? This is 2017, the McCarr draft, 2018. Yep. Yeah, those that year. Um, let's say the Red Wings are first overall, and they take Heiskanen, but they leave Pedersen on the board. Are you mad right now? I'm not mad. I'm not. I, I understand it's not the best pick, but again, you were having, we had the debate on this. Does Heiskanen go first overall over Pedersen? First wasn't a good example. Let's say third. They take Heiskanen third, like it, like Dallas did, but they leave Pedersen on the board or McCarr. If you think McCarr is better. I mean, I don't know. We, Evan, we, we you- could have the debate. Those guys are so close. So for me, a better example would be let's. I'm trying to think of a draft where there's like legit controversy there. Big differences. What about the oh, Ekblad? Draft? Okay, uh, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. I'll get a perfect one. Zadina Hughes. Because yeah, we're ha- I'm like not the, mad. The entire I understand it, but I don't love the pick as much as I used to. I would argue at this point in time Zadina was the second best pick there, which means I'm not like, "Oh my god, we're off the wall," but I think we can all agree hindsight being 2020, it was the wrong pick. Of course, but that's going to happen so much with the uncertainty in drafts. Like, of course he uses the better pick right now. Like, and that's probably going to persist in the future, but I can't possibly Oh, like if Zadina turns out to be a 35 to 40 goal scorer regularly, but Hughes is out here winning Norris trophies and a con Smythe, like, yeah, it sucks. You wish you would have got the guy, but there was no world where he was ranked there. Like, that's a guy where he hit on every single piece yeah, of no, his development. At the time, it was the consensus pick, which is great. Consensus means shit. Nolan Patrick was projected number one overall pick. That guy might not crack the top 15 in a redraft. It doesn't matter. And now Patrick's a bad example because it was mostly injuries and the migraine issue that have derailed his career. So it's totally unfair to Nolan Patrick, but just hyperbole. The 2012 draft, every t- Edmonton screwed it up. Yakupov was a consensus number one, should have never went number one. It's That's the reality of it. You, This is not a, at least you tried and you did all right business. It's no, your whole job is to scout. You have, you're the director of scouting. You're a regional scout. You your whole job is to project these players. I understand it's a hard job. I understand that there is a ton of guesswork in it and nobody's ever going to be perfect. But your job is to get it right. So every time you don't get it right, you have to look back and go, okay, why did we miss this? And understand it for the future to get it right. Now, again, I love Philip Zadina. I've got a very gut, good gut feeling that in three to five years, he's going to be my favorite Red Wing if we don't draft Lucas Raymond. I'll probably buy a Zadina jersey. going to love him. But objectively, it was the wrong pick. But on degrees of anger, there's only going to be one degree there for me, from Hughes to Zadina. That's, that's minimum anger. You're barely... That, that's minimum. That's like, ah, Hughes is good, but we're still happy. 
Like, oh, if, I'll take that though. That's but that's there my, are that's my normal level of anger just being out <laughs> in the world. <laughs> but but there are degrees of anger to this. To kind of circle back to your original question, if we draft, let's say Lucas Raymond at four, if there's three or four players in that top ten behind him that turn out to be better than him, oh, we're gonna be very angry, no matter how good Lucas Raymond is, because. You passed up on five better players. If we draft Lucas Raymond and Marco Rossi goes fifth, and Rossi is the only player drafted behind Raymond to be better than him, okay, it's Zadina Hughes again. Yeah, that would have been nice, but we're happy. We're we're mostly happy, but we're always going to have that lingering in the back of our head. Yeah, but what if? So it, it is. There is a scale here, and again, my my scale of forgiveness gets amp gets like harder. When you're in the top five, again, the further down you draft, the more lenient you get because there's so much more guesswork there and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But man, the guys in the top 10 and the top five, especially you should know everything about these players and who they are to this point. There should be no questions about who they are as players. The only thing you're doing is now projecting. Where are they in their development? That is the only conversations that you should be having at this point. And again, if you get it wrong, there could be a ton of reasons why you did. And that's, and they're all, they might all be understandable. It doesn't matter. You got it wrong. You're rebuilding. This is, this is the single most important thing to the rebuild. You can sign whatever bad contracts you want or trade for whatever bad contracts you want to get more picks. You can tank all you want to get higher picks, but if you're not making the right picks, it's all for naught. So pretty much the takeaway here is, um, yeah, sure. We might be wrong, but, uh, we're allowed to be hypocrites because we're not paid by the league to do this. Exactly. We, who are we? What do our opinions affect? Nothing. Nothing. Our our biggest claim to fame is that we're Evan's friends. Yeah. Honestly, I like, if my predictions in the playoffs are anything, we don't know shit. So <laughs> we we had a full year of watching these teams and we still don't know shit, but we don't matter. <laughs> if we say Lucas Raymond should be the pick for the Red Wings and the dude never plays a game in the NHL, it doesn't matter. We're not getting paid to make these decisions. We're some just stupid pod jockeys trying to guess what our favorite team should do we're not getting paid for it and our opinions direct affect the nh uh, affect the red wings in exactly no ways and also we have far less time and far less resources to form these opinions so that is that is the big difference here again Whoever the director of European scouting is for the Red Wings should have watched every last minute of Lucas Raymond play hockey this year. I've seen maybe, maybe 10 Lucas Raymond games in the last six months. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of room to change my opinion if I was able to watch his other 60 games this year. And on that note, let's give you our opinions on the following prospects in our <laughs> the continuation <laughs> of our NHL draft prospect profile series. Uh, now's a good time to pivot because we're obviously going to have a ton of conversations, of course, about Perfetti versus Rossi versus Raymond versus everyone else uh, in the coming two months. And one month. as we oh have, de- and as we have determined, we will piss off half our listeners, no matter what side we take. Yes. Uh, so the first of the two uh, prospect profiles we'll be doing is Helga Granz. Brad, take it away. Big right-handed shooting offensive defenseman. 
Were you big on the anti-Tuomisto pick last year? If you are, oh, have I got a second round target for you. Uh, all kidding aside, but not really. Granz is a better skater. Um, don't love his offensive instincts as much. They're good, not great. But honestly, if you want to kind of get my feel for who Helga Granz is, Tuomisto would be my best comparison from the last draft. Yeah, I like Helga Granz. Like he has a good uh, toolkit. Like he's a big guy, but he that doesn't hamper him in how he moves. Like you mentioned, I think he has good offensive sense. Like I, th- I think he's a very smart defenseman, which is good. Sometimes you run into offensive defensemen who don't really have a good mind for the game. They just have. I don't want to say that. Like you have to have some kind of offensive instinct, but they rely on kind of raw tools that don't exactly translate up into the NHL. But with Helga Grunz, I do get the impression that he's a pretty smart hockey player. Um, and so that is, that's what makes him attractive to me. I don't think he would be my favorite pick for Detroit at 32 because, like you mentioned, Brad, Tuomisto was picked last year. Not that they're stacked on defense, but um, wait, which direction does he shoot? I have him listed. I don't have his handedness listed. Righty. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know if he even makes it to pick 32, but I don't know if that's who I want Detroit's pick to be. But I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, You have a big guy who has good offensive uh, abilities playing on the back end uh, who can skate, is not hampered by the way he moves and and seems to have a lot of room to grow. Like he seems to be a pretty raw player. That's an attractive, attractive pick for a lot of teams. And I think he has a good chance of jumping up into the first round. He's the type of defenseman. I, I have a hard time seeing him slip to Detroit at 32 just because his raw tools are so intriguing, man. Like six foot, what is he? Six foot, whatever defenseman that shoot right with great offensive instincts. Don't come along often. No, that alone is Detroit's one of the very few teams where you look at their system and see this plethora of right-handed defense, young right-handed defensemen and go, Oh, great. We're the exception to that, to that norm. So, and again, he skates well. His defensive game leaves a lot to be desired. But again, most organizations go, but we can fix him, especially yeah. when you see those tools, right? So Gr- Granz is intriguing. Um, love the toolkit. Absolutely love it. Again, people tend to be higher on his offensive IQ than I am. It's good, but not to the levels that uh, everybody else is ranking it at. But yeah, if he... If I'm wrong on that and he's develops a defensive game, like he's a no doubt first rounder, but because there are questions there, he could go anywhere from, in my mind, 20 to 45. Yeah, he wouldn't be my first choice as a um, project defenseman to pull in the first round. There's a couple of guys I would take before him, but I would not scoff at a team taking him, taking him in the late teens, early 20s. That's about right. Uh, okay. Prospect profile number two, Yan Mishak, uh, out of uh, from the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL, plays center. Age or tails old at time as, at this point, Brad. Like him as a winger more than a center. Uh, had an interesting year because he started the year um, in the top Czech league, uh, and then came over to Hamilton halfway through the season. When he got to the OHL, just lit the world on fire. Uh, something like he was at like a goal per game for like nine or ten games in the OHL. It was just absurd. And then he obviously cooled off because nobody keeps up that pace. Um, 
he's he's got the tools again he's i think just north of six feet tall he's a late birthday uh june birthday so you know for those of you that are late birthday truthers uh he he might have a lot more physical development to go still so he's a good skater he gets knocked for his skating because he's got a a, i don't know what to call it an awkward skating style awkward but i tend to not hold that against people because i'm in the same boat tremendous shot good hands he's a goal scorer man like those types of players don't grow on trees he knows how to get the puck in the net and when you're talking about a guy who might not get drafted into the first round that was a left-hand shot just an absolute threat around the net i'm a big fan of if he'd be my pick in all likelihood if he slips to 32 but i'm not betting he does yeah it's funny like you're you're talking about different kinds of players with grons and meshack like Grons is big, Meshach's small, but at the same time, I, I see a lot of the same qualities in terms of draft philosophies between the two. Like with Meshach, you're getting a guy who has demonstrated ability offensively, uh, great skating. Um, obviously, like you said, Torch the OHL is a is a is a proven scorer. Um, so he thinks the game in the offensive zone really well. But the thought is can this guy like what what's his absolute ceiling? Does he have game breaking skill? Does he have any kind of elite talent? And with his, you know, a, a concern with you know his physicality or will he be able to cut it in the nhl physically or would he just get dominated it's a little bit of a project but it's a project with a lot of high upside in case it pans out so same kind of philosophy in my mind and for the same reason i do think yeah Meshach probably will go in the first round i don't know if he's my favorite pick for detroit at 32 i've been hot and cold on him I don't know if Evan, you have a different read, but I see a guy who succeeded in in the system that he was in, in in the OHL, and probably, you know, if he works hard and gets picked by the right team and develops in the right way, can produce in, at the NHL level. I just don't know if it's like a bonafide top six role. Yeah, I think if he's sitting there at thirty two, he'd be intriguing enough to for the Red Wings to take, and I'd be happy with it. It looks like he he has a pretty solid two hundred foot game already at the OHL level. Um, and he's played in a men's league, so I'm not overly concerned with his potential. I, I think he could easily be a top six forward in the NHL. So if he's sitting in there at 32, I would, I'd be quite happy with that pick. I I don't see him being the go-to guy on a line in the NHL. I, not that they're the same player. I see him filling like a Robbie Fabry role. Man, is he going to love playing with Franz Nielsen? Oh, hell yeah. Another um, fast player that Franz Nielsen can slow down. That's great. And Franz Nielsen will be here long enough to get Meshack's first game as a Red Wing, which will be 10 years from now. But yeah, if everything goes well for Meshack, I could see him settling in onto a second line in a second line role, first or second power play. And he's good enough. He could play on a first power play unit, which is always a possibility, um, depending what the options are, because he's probably best suited to the bumper or left half wall. And obviously the left half wall for Detroit, or the right half wall, I should say, for Detroit for the next 10 years is locked up with Mantha and Zadina. But um, he, he's got enough t- pace and skill in his game. He could play the bumper role. But yeah, he's, he's he'd be that guy that slots in on the second line. A good complimentary player. You get him a, a centerman who can, you know, drive play, get him the puck, and you tell him to just kind of settle in 
in the goal scoring areas in the offensive zone. And if he puts up like 20, 20 a year, you're happy. Yeah, definitely. I, I, the same as Grons. Like, doesn't matter how I feel about Grons versus Meshack. I, I, like, I, I think they're, you're taking almost similar risks with them. So if a team, if and when a team does take him in the first round, as I think we all think he's likely to go, at least as of like end of August right now, um, can't really chide that team for doing it unless there's someone amazing they left on the board, but still. And, and you know what? A lot of the, um, analytics community is really really hot on Meshack. like a lot of people really think do think the world of him and think that his potential could be elite and that he does have way more upside than he's given credit for ah uh, it's that catch 22 because you look at his numbers in hamilton and in the czech pro league this year he was about uh, 0.3 points per game in the czech men's league which which isn't ideal um, but it's good. It's better than nothing. Let's not forget when we drafted Philip Peronic, he had four assists in 40 games in that same league. So, you know, always up for some room for growth. And when he got to the OHL, he started hot, but he finished just over a point per game. And you compare that to the Perfettis and the Byfields and the Rossies of the world who are over two points per game. And you go, yeah, he's nowhere in their realm. So, I don't know what his, I don't think his upside is elite. I really don't. Um, because you could say, yeah, the transition to the OHL, of course, his production is going to be lower. He's getting used to a new league. Well, most of his production came right when he came over. So I don't think transition was an issue for him at all. But again, that's not necessarily a knock on him. If you're drafting a guy in the late first round, early second round, and, and he's a 20, if, sorry, he's a second or a third liner that puts up, 40-ish points, that's a good pick. Mm-hmm. Like You're not expecting to get an 80-point player in, in that range. So, again, you hope you hit the Kucherovs or the Braden Points or the David Pasternak's there, and every once in a while, one of those guys is going to turn out to be that guy. But... I don't, I don't think Meshack's that guy, but I think he can be a productive NHLer. And, and it is worth noting, too, that Kucherov and Point get brought up a lot when talking about, yo, you can find these late ones. Braden Point was the top scoring WHL draft eligible player when he got drafted in the third round by like 20 points. To this day, I still have no idea why he went in the third round. In a redraft, not even knowing what he did in the NHL, just with how drafting philosophies have changed, he's a top 15 pick beyond a shadow of a doubt. Same thing with Kucherov. If he wasn't Russian, he's a first-round pick because he torched every international tournament he played. He set scoring records. I think it was at the U18s. Like These are not guys that came out of nowhere. It was back, not that, that it was that far back, but it was just teams were hung up on stupid things. That doesn't really happen that much anymore. And there's not players like this in the draft and go, this guy has 100 points in 50 games. Why are we ranking him in the second round? There are no players like that in this draft. So I think we got to keep expectations a little realistic. Maybe we snag a goalie or a defenseman late that exceeds expectations. But as far as forwards go and the projected rankings, none of those guys are sticking out like that. And I don't think Meshack's that guy. Yeah, then it's the obvious rule here. Like it's a little bit of a paradox. Oh, any one of those players can turn into the the first round guy, like or the Kucherov. Like that fourth round or third round pick could turn into a Kucherov or a point. So, like, which one do you think is going to be? Who are some candidates for that this year? 
Well, if we thought they were candidates to turn into Nikita Kucherov or Braden Point, they wouldn't be third or fourth round picks. Plain and simple. Like That's I've it. got, I've got a few guys bumped up on my list where I'm, uh, I'm, I'll say borderline considerably higher on than the majority. So if you ask me who who those guys are, those are the guys I'm going to pick. But I don't have them ranked in the second round. So yeah. it's the catch away too. If you're asking me to go through my second round and go, oh, who are you going to? Well, none of them. That's why they're there. Like if we get a Tyler Bertuzzi out of the second round this year, that's about as good as you can hope for. Because what year 2013 was the year Bertuzzi was picked, right? I'm pretty sure if you go back through that draft, he was the best pick in that round, or or damn close to it. So like, I think people still overestimate how many of these guys come out of every draft. So if you get a usable hockey player in the late first, early second round. You're happy. You are super happy. Like if Jared McIsaac turns into a number five defenseman and plays 17 minutes a night for the Red Wings for the next 10 years, that's a home run pick for where he was drafted. Like Mm -hmm. people forget that and they, and they see those exceptions to the rule and they go, Oh, why can't we do that? Yeah. Like, so just as an example, I know we're going back seven years. I just pulled up Tyler Bertuzzi's draft year. So here are the other players that you could consider good NHLers at this point, okay? In the second round that year, JT Comfer, Robert Hag, Tristan Jari. Oh, I'm so tempted to say Madison Bowie. <laughs> I'll drive to your house and punch. Yeah. What about Jacob Delarose? <laughs> I said good NHL players. Arturi Lekkinen. That's it. That's what came out of the second round in Tyler Bertuzzi's year when he was drafted. Like, th- these are your odds. I'm just, and again, that's not even including the late first round where there were such, where there were superstars such as Morgan Klimchuk and Mike McCarron and Hunter Shinkarik and Emil Poirier. So, Hunter this is your uh, monthly reminder to keep expectations within reason. Yeah, I haven't heard Hunter Shinkarik's name in a long time. All right. Uh, I'm going to move us along to overtime now. Uh, we're going to start off with our uh, Winged Wheel podcast Patreon supporters. Just a quick note, guys. Obviously, um, you know, the world's in a little bit of a crazy place, so we know it's not easy to support right now. So for those of you who have had to stop or, you know, we've got a ton of messages from people who are saying, like, we want to, but just not right now. Totally understand. But for those of you who um, uh, can and do support the Winged Wheel podcast on Patreon, <laughs> I'm not good enough at words and definitely Brad isn't and Evan is, but he just chooses not to uh, grace you with his eloquence day in and day out. But seriously, we cannot articulate enough how much it means to us. So uh, thank you all of you. And and for those of you who choose to support the show that way, um, you're the reason the show goes on and grows and, and gets better or uh, at least more entertaining for you, depending on how you want to measure it. So thank you. Uh, and with that, we're going to start with our Patreon comments who uh, our Patreon supporters get their comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you again. Denny OD says, hey, guys. 
sorry, this is going to be kind of a downer comment, but this is important. PSA to all of those over the age of 35, please go to get a colonoscopy. People are dying earlier and earlier from colon cancer and early detection can save your life. It's always been a 45 to 50 year old thing to do, but now it seems you should get it even earlier than that. Chadwick Bozeman was diagnosed at 39 and died at the age of 43. Local radio host here in Metro Detroit area, Jamie Samuelson, was diagnosed at 47 and died at 48 and leaving three kids behind. He was active and ate well, but cancer still got him. Both these deaths occurred this month and they've really hit me hard. I obviously didn't know them personally, but as I creep closer to to those ages and my parents are past those ages, it's made me realize that I need to do things I want to do before it's too late. Not acting as, as if death is imminent, but planning those trips and making time to see family because you just don't know what can happen. So again, if you're over the age of 35, please schedule your colonoscopy today. It could save your life. Uh, Denny, don't apologize for that comment. It's an incredibly important message. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and obviously mourning the terrible losses of both Chadwick Boseman and Jamie Samuelson. Um, fuck cancer is all I can say. Alex Ott says, Brad and Ryan, what's better sniping a wrist shot, wrist shot, top titties or sending a perfect sauce to your teammate for the goal. Oh, I never had a good shot. So, uh, sending a perfect sauce to your teammate was always beauty for me. Top titty all day. And uh, for Evan, he has a question for you. Uh, what's better, driving a 350 green or chipping in from 50 yards? Oh, drive for show, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I had one hit the cart bath the other day, and it was like, I don't drive, I don't hit the ball that far, but it was well over 300 yards thanks to the cart path, and <laughs> it was just serious BDE after that. Didn't I- someone on the tour this year like crank one over four because it hit the cart path and just kept going. Bryson has done it a few times, but he's a big meat stick and no one likes him. So (laughs) dude, I play one round of golf and my hips feel like I just birthed a child. Like I cannot handle that. Like I was explaining to Mel for the fifth time, the poor woman lives with me. I feel really bad. Um, But playing hockey, your hips don't move mechanically that way. You don't shift your hips left and right like that while keeping your feet planted shoulder width. But in golf, it's like, hey, all these natural motions, screw them. We're going to destroy your body. So it oh, blows yeah. my mind that people play this game till they're old. I, I might be talking out my ass here. Well, I'm definitely talking out my ass here, and Evan might correct me. But if, if it's that bad, your swing mechanics might just suck. Yeah, shut up, Brad. <laughs> they do suck, and we all know that. Although, <laughs> it's, it's better that your hips are sore than like your arms or your shoulders, because that means then you're definitely swinging with the smaller muscles. What do I, what do, I do bicep curls in the squat rack for, then? It doesn't uh, help it's just when it's a hot day, and you just uh, tent the, the sleeves up a little bit more, let, let the patrons know what you got under there. That's what it's I w- for. <laughs> I will say I made my first ever par. I mean, that's more because I putt like a maniac than anything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That's good. Pars are hard. Disco Sludge says, hey, boys, been a fan of the show for a while and have been lightly cyberbullying Ryan and Brad on Twitter. Figured it was time to become a patron. Disco Sludge, thank you so much for your support. And always feel free to uh, level up the bullying on Brad specifically. Uh, quick about me and humble brag. I'm uh, from Traverse City, pronounced Travers, uh, Michigan. And so I've been lucky enough to go to a few training camps up here. The first one I went to as a kid was Zetterberg's rookie year and Cronwell was still a prospect. Also during the prospect tournament, I got to meet Craig Berube after the Blues won the cup. Uh, Berube or Berube? Berube. 
yes. Barube after the Blues won the cup at the bar I always go to, so that was cool. He is not friendly, FYI, and was watching rerun games of the playoffs he just played in on the TV, which seemed on brand. That's all. Thanks for making Good Wings content. Well, thank you for supporting Good Wings content. And uh, I'm sorry that Craig wasn't nice. <laughs> Yako Ruta says, whenever I hear you talking about Anton Lundell, I'm shocked that you don't compare him to Miko Koivu. Two Finnish two-way centers who don't have anything flashy in their arsenal but get shit done. Or am I way off? Uh, yeah, I guess I undersell that Miko Koivu actually did have an offensive game once upon a time. Because I do think that Lundell can produce in the NHL, not to an elite level, but to a to a good level and I don't ever remember Koivu for being an offensive generator but I think that's just me selling him short so that could be a good comparison I hate player comparisons because it always makes me it makes it more obvious when I'm wrong uh michael barry says hi guys ryan great poll on rossi versus perfetti in lead up to the draft i think we should have a devil's advocate statement as to why not to draft a player for example rossi was a week away from being drafted last year and rossi put up 61 points against the bottom five 20 games uh teams compared to 59 points against the 14 other teams in 36 games uh we will thank you and we will definitely do that um all of our major prospect profiles either done for the first time or rehashed are going to be coming over the next month <clears throat> and we are going to have all angles of analysis why they should why they shouldn't um and we'll revisit at the end before the draft as well mike lennox says how much of a factor in arizona's punishment was there was that there was no com- combine due to COVID-19 and how much did the scorn that Major League Baseball took for the Houston Astros cheating factor into the punishment? Absolutely none. I think I the fact think- that there no one had a combine factored in for sure. Oh, that that I think did. I don't I don't think it did because this came out before we knew any of that, right? And I mean, a lot of people, our listeners included, were predicting what this punishment was going to be a long time ago before we knew how the rest of the season was going to play out. So I, I don't think it had anything to do with it. I'm sure it made their decision a little easier, but I don't think it, it really made much of an impact. Um, Jake Jake Nagy says, thought it was pretty powerful to hear um, Thursday's episode of Hockey Central with Brian Burke. Yes, Brian Burke discussing systemic racism and the need for players to make a stand. Uh, the interview with Joel Ward was really powerful and worth a listen. Wanted to thank you guys for your voices and being willing to speak on this issue. If we want the sport and team uh, we love to really be for everyone, we have to keep having these conversations. Love to you all. Jake, as usual, thank you for your kind words. It means more than we can say. Um, all I see is gains says who has a bad contract we can take on and that will fill our two C spot. Kyle Turris. Um, yeah, that would, that one would be a tough one to work, but that would definitely meet the criteria there. Um, in terms of on ice ability, he's probably the best one in terms of a bad contract that could fit there. Alex Kalorn, maybe if we can steal him out of Tampa, he's a center, right? Um, and they're hard up for on the cap. Brandon Sutter, maybe out of Vancouver. Uh, I'm drawing a sentiment. Sentiment are hard to swing away from teams. Yeah, there's probably one or two obvious ones that we're forgetting. But for now, that's it. That's what I got. 
Brett S. says, hey guys, is there a world where we can sign the top free agents and trade them away immediately? You talked about Petrangelo last episode. If we signed him to a two-year or less contract and traded him to St. Louis, couldn't that help both teams if we ate 50% of the contract? Do the same for Krug and the Bruins or any team who wants Hall. I wouldn't go longer than two years, but it seems that could be a way to utilize cap space. Thanks, Brett. Would that be circumvention? Yeah, that seems a little too 40 chess that I don't know if there's anything in the CBA to disallow that, but I would bet there is. Um, Toronto did something similar with Laner when they briefly acquired him to just... There's a weird cap magic going on in that whole deal. There's been a few um, trades that have happened like that, but that was more to facilitate some things. I don't know. I I could see a world where it could happen, but I... I just can't shake the feeling that it won't be allowed. The thing is, when you get into high-profile UFAs, they don't they care where they go, but very rarely do they care so much where they go or they'd be willing to take part in that sign-and-trade business. It does carry some inherent risk for them, and I don't know. If I'm player X and I'm leaving you know, New York to go to Buffalo or you know, Colorado, if I've already made that decision to leave this team that I've been with since they drafted me, I kind of already made that decision. It's for a, whatever reason, dollars or, or cup contention. You don't really want to add that extra step of complication. And I don't know. It's, it's just too many people need to be on board for it to happen, which is why you almost never see sign in trades. If it's not cap circumvention, then yeah, like it could technically work. And you do see some versions of that, but for you won't see it commonly. So that's why I would never kind of give it any serious thought. If it happened to be a big surprise, we'd probably have an emergency episode just to (laughs) kind of put it on a barometer (laughs) for you. Uh, Mark says, holy shit, boys, after four plus months without any hockey, I'm finally playing tonight as excited as I am. And after 33, I'm going to say years of playing, uh, I'm nervous. I'll have forgotten how to skate. Wish me and my dilapidated body luck after four months of drinking beer, smoking weed and eating like a raccoon on vacation. I may die. Just know I died doing what I love. No, man, you are speaking to me. Uh, on a side note to my impending death, does anyone know why Joe Valeno didn't end up playing in the Czech Republic with Zadina as originally reported? How do you think this prolonged break from playing real hockey will affect his development? Um, I don't think it's going to affect his development dramatically. Um, as, as you're going to find out tonight, it takes a while to get it back, but you get it back quicker than you'd think. And that's true of NHLers. And, there, there's pluses to this in development, if you would, because again, like they don't get game action and there's nothing that can substitute for game action, but all these guys are doing an absolute ton of strengthening and skill work right now. So these guys are going to come back bigger, stronger, faster with better shots and better hands. So again, not going to help sharpen you for game action, but I mean, a dumb, just use myself as a dumb example. When the quarantine shut down, all I really had to do to entertain myself was the outdoors. And my work has a rapid shot thing. In five months of just shooting in rapid shot, my wrist shots come up 10 miles an hour. Part, part of that's due to rehab shoulder injury. But still, it's if I can do that, imagine what a guy like Valeno is doing being out there daily. So it's good and bad. The other thing is, uh, the reason he didn't go over seems to be that there's a lot of complications with both um, European laws and Canadian quarantine laws, and it probably just got a little bit messy there. 
Um, Matt says, hi guys. After the games were postponed this week, there were a number of comments about how players met and had discussions about the BLM movement. Do you think it's possible in the future they could broadcast these discussions like a town hall meeting in place of games? My assumption is the players wouldn't want to be misquoted or risk any PR nightmares while they're trying to learn, but I feel like it would draw a lot of interest as opposed to just a night with no hockey on TV. You'll see them do what they did with the press conference with those conversations almost definitely they'll want to keep it private because again these players are learning like you mentioned and they understand that they're learning and with learning comes vulnerability with which comes with the risk of being misperceived when you're just unwillfully ignorant like you just don't know yet and so i don't i don't think there's ever a version of that if you have a town hall it'll be with players who are willing and prepared that's just the reality of it CNODS says we are seeing teams send players on loan to get reps, building relationships with foreign clubs and getting some good playing time. Do you see a future of this happening more often with some players who don't quite fit on either North American teams? Like maybe someone you need to sign to keep rights to the player, but since he's a skilled player is better suited for a top six role abroad compared to the more grinding styles of the AHL. Yes and no. You definitely still see it right now where they like let him go to Europe, but at the same time, if you have a player who's poised to be a top six player for your NHL team, you do need them familiar with the North American game. And that is a pretty substantial thing. So I don't think we'll see it too much more than we see now for that reason. But yeah, there's, there's always a chance of making more connections and teams being more willing to, to let a player who's just not working out of the AHL right now, but they don't want to give up on uh, them completely go. It's happened before. It might happen more now. It won't Joseph, be dramatic, though. Joseph Fournier says, Hey there, fellas. Anyone play Final Fantasy VII Remake? Do you play Evan? Nope. I haven't played any Final Fantasy. I kind of want to. Highly recommended if you haven't yet, even the original. Um, it's been a pleasant distraction from the, from the current atrocities uh, of the world while hockey is not on. Evan, first of all, 69. Nice. Second, I know you said don't read the comments, but I read the comments and holy hell, the horror. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Yes. Yes. Do not uh-huh. do it, but my God. Yeah. 2020 sucks sweaty balls, <laughs> says, so this year continues to suck. I need a new weed guy. And I stopped watching hockey after the caps were eliminated. What are good ways to spend your time nowadays? And with Probert gone, who is the best enforcer still alive? Domi, Coacher, Williams, or some other? Keep calm and don't forget to have a colonoscopy after like 35 uh tiger williams is the all-time leader in penalty minutes in the nhl so it's hard to pick anybody other than him Domi was a mean person to fight though is link gate still alive that dude was a maniac sure is oh ogie oglethorpe he's, goldie goldthorpe <laughs> he's got to still be kicking around somewhere right i seen an article someone did an update on him like four years ago he's a he's batshit crazy love it Time for some more questions from Reddit and Twitter before wrapping up. Holy moly, what a goalie says. Age 18. Bure, Lafreniere, Korea, and Forsberg are all, are all available at number four overall. Who do you take? I'd hate myself if I didn't take Bure. <sighs> Both of them were hampered by injuries, but I think Bure and Forsberg, in terms of talent, may have been the best player or among the best players of their generation. And if they played full careers, they'd be among the best of all time. Yep. I'll go Forsberg just because I'm more familiar, but I can't criticize Brad for saying Bure. I will still, to this day, argue Bure is a top five goal scorer of all time. What is the most asset-wise that you would give up for this hypothetical to take place? 
Christ. Wow. I wouldn't. Anyone on the Red Wings can go for Peter Forsberg or Pavel Bure. Yes. Literally any, any of them. Uh, X Kyle 49 says, I really, I'm really liking Drysdale. He's a great skater and can turn into a nice two-way defenseman, but I wouldn't be heartbroken if we passed on him. Hansel O'Mail asks, um, a question about prospect reviews for some of the top rated guys like Raymond Rossi, Byfield and Perfetti. Those are coming this month and you will be able to, uh, rewatch where we're clipping out our specific prospect profiles. We're going to try to catch up on previous ones and post those on a specific YouTube, uh, um, playlist so if you don't subscribe yet subscribe to winged wheel podcast on youtube and we do take some clips from episodes and our prospect profiles as well for you guys to catch in case you want to watch the full episode if you want to go look back um, and a twitter question question from jesse jib says who is the safest bet to be on the red wings long term i want a current jersey but i have the worst luck i bought mcdonald's when he signed uh, and finally got datsuk then he retired my zetterberg was good for two seasons Safest bet, Larkin. Larkin. He's yeah. he's ar- he's on a lengthy contract right now. He's from Michigan. Loves the team. Team loves him. It's it's not a controversial answer, but it's Larkin. And then who knows? Wait to see what happens if Mantha signs an eight year contract in the next couple months. He'd be a great bet too. Yeah. All right. With that, we are going to wrap up this episode and catch you guys again midweek we'd like to thank everyone for listening for tuning in um even more of you have been putting in five star reviews on itunes which has been amazing for us um all of our patreon supporters again guys thank you our name level sponsors the septic tank of that bitch carol baskins greech jeremiah dobo jake Kiefer, 2020 sucks sweaty balls andrew bohan scott martin jacob turner matt mckay brandon m matthew m rice luke johnson kaylin wood hassam alkasem uh, Arjun Shanker, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Obir Juan Kenobi, Trevor Pevavar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. Cheers. Take care. And we will see you in a few days. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna W. WP and at Hockey Town Evan.